Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. On the Behind the Mask podcast, we have some of the greatest athletes to ever play the game and some of your well-known celebrities. We are discussing a wide range of topics, including fatherhood, relationships, business ventures, social issues, and untold stories. On the Behind the Mask podcast, there's only one rule. There are no rules. They have done everything. All the little whispers are like, hey, I, the, the little back end ways, like this for sure get you a job. Mm. It's been done. I've read off Eric B. Enemy's resume. And they still winning going to the AFC championship game. So I got a problem with that. And I, I just I just think it's is it, it bothers me because it's like we good enough to go out here and play. Get on this field, jump up and down. But we're not good enough to lead this team. Let's go behind the mask. Welcome back to another edition of the Behind the Mask podcast. I'm your host, Takeo Spikes. And to my right is... Your favorite plus-size model, Tuton Reyes. Hey, I like when you do that, dog. In the really? building. You know it. In the building. Did you see it? You heard? <laughs> you don't bark after that, too? <laughs> nah, I ain't barking. I ain't barking. All right. What's good, Spice? What's good, man? Hey, man. Good week of football. Absolutely. You absolutely. Know? Good week of football and uh, great games. This this is another playoff edition to be able to catch the games and to see some of the things that how we see it as players and to come back and translate it into – what the majority of people really why they fall in love with the game that's cool to do today for sure for sure man and you know this is uh any athletes or any any professional football players this is their favorite time of year you know what i mean it's a whole new season the playoffs and everybody's aspiring for that one goal that championship so the games are condensed it's heightened everybody's watching you know what i mean we were watching so this is this is what it's about right now oh yeah no doubt though so i gotta ask you like for real though like when you look at the games yesterday and you look at um, a few days ago, I'm sorry, but when you look at how everything transpired, uh, to me, I want to say the biggest game out of the day, biggest, I wouldn't say the biggest surprise, but when the Chiefs played against the Texans. Yeah, yeah. Down 24 to nothing. And I'm going to tell you how funny this was. I'm talking to one of my, uh, one of my other partners, man, and I'm like, I'm like, bro, this is crazy. And he was like, Spikes, I haven't seen this in like 45 years of living. Mm. And I was like, yes, you have. I was like, the Falcons, the Super Bowl. <laughs> hey, 15 minutes later, they came out in the third yeah. quarter, scored three more touchdowns. I text, I, I text him back and I say, bro, I've been living for 43 years and I have not seen anything yeah. like this before. Totally Mute. Yeah. What, like, I don't know if you ever been in a situation that was, cl- clearly that was like one of a kind. Yeah. But yeah. have you ever been in a situation like that? Or like, what is the thought process, though, like if you're Houston, though? Listen. If you're the Houston defense and, and, and you know they coming and you're like, oh, you feel that momentum yeah. shift. You know how you, you just feel it. Yeah. Nobody really wants to acknowledge it, but you I, walk around on the sideline. What you, listen, what would you say? I, I tell you, the, the, the crazy part about it is, I spent some time with the Texans my last year in the league um, before I was done. And I'm in a group text with all the legends. So about halftime, somebody in the group text, it's about 60, 80 of us, something like that. Somebody texts, go Texans, in the group text. So I looked at it and I was like, I'm not even going to respond. It's not even halftime yet. Man, when I tell you, you talking about being mute, it was straight crickets the whole second half in this group text. You know what I'm saying? So, um, But being in those game games like that, when you're up, and you feel that momentum shift, like psychologically, your mind is just saying, as opposed to keep pressing, keep keep winning. Some of those guys on your team is like, nah, just don't fuck up. Don't let me be the reason why we start to lose the game. And so we, you say they start playing tense, tight. Yeah, yeah, start getting a little tight, tentative. You play as opposed to playing to win. You play not to lose, which makes no sense. But that's just how the mind is set up. Like you really want to keep pressing, but as soon as you feel like you know something that that worked in the first half, first half they made the uh, the other team made the adjustment. Now, literally, your 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 toes are in your cleats. Like 
So you ripping through the socks you're ripping and everything. through the socks like, don't mess this up. Don't mess this up. You know what I mean? And then once that momentum shift is real, and once you see that other team just creeping back into the game, you're like, all right, start looking at the clock. How much time do we have left? Is the clock on our side? Can we continue to just score one more touchdown? And when that doesn't happen, it just slips away, man. At what point, if you're the coach, and obviously you see, you know what? Like, my shit works. Mm-hmm. 21 nothing. My shit really works. Mm-hmm. 24 to nothing. They ain't scoring a damn point on us today. Yeah. And as soon as that KC gets a big kick return, that sparks and ignite him. Yeah. So as a coach, I'm just thinking, at what point do you, when you see them coming back, and when they made it within three, then they outscored you on another big touchdown, at what point do you just say, everything that we've done, take the game plan, like wipe your ass with it, <laughs> throw it across the bench, because obviously it ain't it working. working. yeah. So I'm just, like, for real, though, help me. I don't understand that. Man, I, I don't get it either. But, you know, we used to always say, you know, the coaches, they they, they assholes get tight. They, 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 you know, they get tense, too. And they want to be the ones that's that keeps the team in line in terms of uh, not getting too big for the moment, not getting caught up in the moment. But coaches do, too. They human, too. And you saw that happen yesterday with O'Brien with the Texans, man. They were up, what, like you said, 24 nothing. And that's why there's three uh, components of the game. Offense, defense, and special teams. Yeah, offense, defense, defense was weren't was not doing anything in the first half for the uh, for the Chiefs. But then they got sparked with a special teams play. Then another one, block punts, and you got you know fumbles, et cetera. So that's those are the little things that that really in a game can can flip that momentum around. And as a, a player that's on a uh, on opposing team that's up, you have to take it upon yourself to be like, nah, we're not gonna let this happen. And and the Texans just. Well, over their head, man. And you saw why the Chiefs were one of the better teams for the past couple of years in the NFL, man. Yeah. It was a great game, though. Yeah, no doubt. Deshaun Watson even came out and said he still thinks Bill O'Brien is, like, his coach. Yeah. That's their coach. And I I expect him. I I do, too. Yeah. You know, but it just goes to show you how deep it runs. It's not just, you know, from a coach's perspective, but everybody has a buy-in with it. You talked about the small things. And we look at that Baltimore Ravens game. Mm. I would probably say this is the most – that was the most disappointing game for the Ravens fans. Yeah. Like, yeah. very disappointing. Um, even – I just think of when I first turned on the TV, I tweeted about it. I was like, bro, like, I remember when Ray used to come out that tunnel and it was a show. But it was like it was a pregame show for the whole team, yeah. like a mini motion picture. Yeah. And I just felt like the moment got too big for him mm-hmm. as a team. Like you you just talked about guys becoming tight. You seeing guys who usually make catches, like easy catches, yeah. routine catches, dropping footballs, um, penalties that they didn't sustain so that they couldn't come back from. Well, Spikes, I saw – you know, a Ravens team that, that was phenomenal the entire year, but they finally got a taste of what Derrick Henry really could do. And that's a big man. We I think we were watching the game. We were going back and forth with Jamal Lewis, like, how big is this kid? You know, I thought he was like 240, 250, but easily, Jay Lou said he was about 265, and this man is running like a damn freight train through that Ravens defense. Like you said, when Ray came out, uh, when he played, it almost was an intimidating factor for the opposing offense, opposing team, seeing all of that prior to the game. Ravens didn't bring any of that in the playoffs. And you know, uh, playing the game, Spice, you, you know, the defense typically sets the tempo. That's why uh, throughout the course of the year when uh, you have the, the home games, you, get your, you let your defense get announced. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because defensive guys come out with the swagger, you know what I'm saying, get the crowd hyped the up, get them into the fire and the, you know, all that stuff. Offensive guys, we just run out the tunnel. You know, we just trying to get to the game and get, get the job done. But y'all had the swag and everything. So, you know, I didn't see that from the Ravens yesterday. And, again, you got to take your hat off to Henry, what he was able to do. I think, what, three straight games, 180 yards rushing. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you have a solid running game, a solid defense, it don't matter what your quarterback do. You know, your quarterback, as long as he doesn't lose the game, you have an opportunity to go forward in the playoffs, and that's what the Titans are doing right now. Ravens just didn't have it. But my question to you is uh, we heard O.C., uh, one of our good friends early in the season, talk about 
the Ravens' offense would become predictable and lazy, right? Now, Lamar Jackson, phenomenal job. Didn't, didn't, didn't put the points up. Still did a phenomenal job in terms of his output, offensive output. But is he the type of player moving forward that can have success long-term for the Ravens in the playoffs? Not the regular season. Regular season is great. You know, MVP probably of the league. But at the end of the day, you're chasing a championship. You know, what does all of that mean? Yeah, I, I I definitely think so. When you look at it from it, when you look at it big picture, you know what made them so good? Uh, the ability to run the football, not even counting Lamar Jackson. Mm. Now you take an athlete like that and you bring in his special ability to take from year one to year two, understanding how to set up the NFL running blocking schemes. For the most part, a lot of it is God given, mm. but understanding okay, now we're going to put the ball in your hands and instead of giving the ball to the running back, we're going to give you an extra blocker which will outnumber the amount of people. That's what I saw this year. So is it sustainable? Absolutely it is because you damn near, when you go man-on-man blocking, most of the times 85 to 95% of the guys are going to be blocked. Mm. It just got to be that one guy, you know. So, for me, I think wherever he goes and even from here, he got better, he had career highs and everything. That's the reason why I think he's sustainable. But sustainable in terms of make winning a Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Now, we look at the most recent history. I say the last 10 years since since you retired, since I, I was playing. Name me. I, I can think of one quarterback that had that Lamar Jackson style of play that's even made it to the Super Bowl. And I could be wrong, but that's made it. I can't remember any that of one, maybe outside of Russell, Russell Wilson. He's, he's, he's got one. Yeah. But aside from that, who else do you have? I, can you name the one? What, Donovan? Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick. Uh. With the running style of, you know, phenomenal athlete running the ball. Everyone yeah. else has been a stand-up, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, you know what I'm saying, Eli, um, Brady. Those are, the, those are the quarterbacks that seemingly continuously – win the Super Bowls not make it love the numbers love the athleticism what he does for the league MVP and all of that but can that win a Super Bowl yeah I no like it hadn't I, I, I don't you know the reason why it hasn't it's good, good point because coaches and teams are afraid to even go and take a chance on the black guy the black quarterback who can do both because they're afraid of what they haven't seen and so now I think when you see guys getting more opportunities to play this position and people embracing them, i.e. when you look at Baltimore and Lamar, I think the proof is in the pudding. So you think that, I mean, the, the Ravens have a legit shot to, uh, yeah, to I do. run and win the championship? I, I do, I do. I just think the disappointing thing is you look at how they played defensively. Mm. Uh, did not even show up. And that was one of the things that even going back when Ray first got there all the way into the day now, that's one thing you always can count on is that defense being able to keep you in the game. And I didn't, I felt like they didn't do their end of the bargain uh, to be able to hold them in that game. So, And then Lamar damn near still brought his team back yeah. and had an opportunity going towards the end. I think it remains to be seen, man. I, I, another thing, though, that I kind of find dope over the weekend is we even throughout the course of this season, we talked about all the black quarterbacks having a phenomenal year. You know, that was all the narrative, uh, how the top four or five quarterbacks in the league were all black. First time in, in league history, I say. You had uh, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, we just talked about Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson. But quietly, somebody that did their thing, you know, was slept on for the first time, I think, in his career, um, and, and really showed up and showed out. Aaron Rodgers did his thing and got the Packers back to another NFC championship. But again, just go, kind of going back to it, he's he's athletic in his own right, but you know, doesn't look to run down and run down the field with the ball or whatever. He doesn't have the the zone reads, the options and all of that. He really manipulates the pocket and gets the ball down the field. But I think Aaron Rodgers, he he's poised to make another Super Bowl run and actually make it back to the, you know, to the championship, you ask me. So you, so pretty much you telling us and everybody. I think I think Rogers, G, Green yo, Bay is gonna beat the Niners. I, I think Green Bay got what it takes. So tell me this, yo. Um, unfortunately, you what, fifteen years in the league. Yep. No playoff games. No. Nope. So 
talking about spectating, no shade, but you watched a lot of playoffs. No, no shade. I want to slap the no. shit out of you right now. <laughs> no shade, yo. But yo, what's the what's the, like? I, I played in a couple playoff games and was on the team. Hold up, did you play played, or yes, did I you played. just come to the yes, game? Yes, I man. played, bro. I played. You, I could have took another person beside me. That's fine. I played. I definitely played in some games, yo. We, nah, don't go there. But what I'm saying is, what what's the life like? And we're going to tell the people. No, nah, no, nah, for real, though, because it's, it, it's like, it's not a secret. I didn't play in a playoff. <laughs> <laughs> Do I wish I could have played in one? Yes. But you know what? I fucking didn't. <laughs> I know so it was a sore spot. No, nah, man. That's a sore spot. My I, bad, my bad. I like to have fun with it. But what was the lifestyle being in the league? You know, everybody wants to to get to the Super Bowl, like I said. But what's the lifestyle? What was your what was your weekly, you know, scenario watching the playoffs? You know, what was you doing as opposed to playing in the games? It was it goes back to what you what I just said a few minutes ago. I used to like before you actually attain anything, like you got a dream of having it. And so that's what I would do. Bro, I would I would you know how I am about watching games now. Like I don't care what what's going on. Like you could bring you could put a naked woman just have a walk by. Like I'll glance and say that's nice, but that, hey, that head is going right back to the TV. Now maybe on that commercial break I might get up. <laughs> was 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 there any you know routine? Any any get-togethers, parties? What, what was the playoff like? Like playoff life like? Oh, it was. It sucked. It sucked, dog. It was, you know what? Because when I finally came to grips, you know, early in my career, you know, we would just get beat down. And so when I finally came to grips, like, you know what? We just, we're not a good team and we won't go. And you see, you're not, you see when you're eliminated, basically what I'm saying throughout the season. And then it was more so it turned into personal pride for me because it was like, all right, I'm going to just do whatever I can so when I get back in the offseason, a small compliment, you walking past me just like, hey, you can say whatever, we, collectively you can say whatever, but like I took pride in when you was like, hey, boy, we, like we had the damn, our OC came in like, hey, I know we playing Cincinnati, but this 51 over here, if we don't get him, it's going to be a long day. Like that's what I love. So when I sit back now, it's like it, like watching those games, um, I used to think of that, imagining if I was in it, you know what I mean, and and just really enjoying and embracing it, because you know I just I've always loved the game like that. So being eliminated, you know, you might be on a bubble. They always show last, you know, ones that clinch a couple of teams that's on a bubble. You need these scenarios to happen. What's that feeling when you in that last week, week seventeen, and then somebody wins or y'all don't, y'all don't, you know, y'all don't make it? What's that feeling like? Oh, I had one of those experiences. What happened? That was, that was the closest that I got to making. Well, one of them, I got to making the playoffs. Mm. And the only thing we had to do was win. We had we were on a, a seven game win streak, mm. and oh man, seven game win streak in Buffalo. Um, you know. Some of the guys on that team, you know, London Fletcher, um, Jeff Posey, um, Lawyer Malloy, Troy Vincent, you know, Pat Weeks. Like, we had an all-star team. Like, at least three guys on that defense, Antoine Winfield. So, but, man, we had – we playing against Pittsburgh. And then Pittsburgh sat the starters – and I still took an L. Oh! <laughs> they sat their starters and they were like, we're not going to even, that's it. Because they already had clinched. They clinched already. They yeah. clinched their spot already. And so I was like, in my mind, I'm thinking, now if we can't go out here and whoop their ass, we got problems. Yeah. Like I was 200% like certified and sure, like we finna, we finna tear their ass up. Going to the game. And I'm like, who was you know the during the week I'm like, who was the backup? <laughs> uh <laughs> Willie Parker. <laughs> hey Mario! 
<laughs> who did? Who is Willie Parker? Mario is like, probably damn. That's a plumber's name. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we don't even know who Willie Parker is. Like we know. Yeah, but he ain't put up no numbers like. No, that. he hadn't. He hadn't played. And this experience has always stuck with me. But to see, you know, Willie Parker come out and they run this counterplay, mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, you know, famously known for doing. He ran the play, and I mean, everything that could went wrong happened, happened. And so I remember this play because, you know, like I could, I was, I was king of the runners and hitters. Mm-hmm. Like I can run and hit. Man, I remember seeing Willie Parker come by me so fast, bro. It was almost like, God dang. I jumped on my horse. I'm trying to catch him. I'm like, all right, Nate will catch him, Nate Clements. Nate came at an angle. And Nate has been clocked at like high 4-3-8, like consistent, like low 4-4. And Willie Parker outran Nate at an angle. And it went all downhill from there. And I remember our offense could not move the ball at all, bro. Like, yeah. and it was so we were like the hottest team. We were that Tennessee Titans team yeah. that year. And I just, I just, I remember like we just took it and we couldn't do nothing about yeah. it. You know what I mean? I tell you, it was crazy though. You say y'all went on a seven game winning streak, so yeah. I mean, y'all started off the season some trash if y'all couldn't. Yes, it was disappointing, man. Yeah, but y'all, because y'all flipped the, the tide of the season and had the opportunity to still make the playoff. Yeah, they we drafted J.P. Lossman. Oh, and, and he didn't he didn't pan out. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, then Drew came back in because Drew Bledsoe mm-hmm. still was there. So they had benched Drew for J.P. Yeah, yeah. And when Drew came back on, it was just like, I mean, like, we was taking off. Boom, 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 boom. But that game, man, that, like that, I'll forever remember that game because it was some more guys on there who we – oh, guess who was the defensive MVP? Who Nobody never heard of him up until this. James Harrison. Mm. Mm. Oh, he went off. I mean, I knew him just because I, I watched linebackers. But it was – I was like, did this dude say he was going to kill y'all before the before the ball was snapped? Bro, he was he was a modern day Lawrence Taylor. Was a gladiator out there. Yeah, and it was the last week of the season. So after that, you you don't make the playoffs. Yeah. Back to you know regularly scheduled programming. We vacationing. What we doing? Oh no, nah, I'm. Oh, I was, you 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 you, you kind of sitting that in that place for a minute. You know what I'm saying? Because you got the loss. You you wanted to make the playoffs. You were yeah. that close, and now yeah. you sit in that place, or do you just kind of go back to life? You know what I'm saying? Get back to the crib. Get back to baby girl, and, and keep it moving or what? Oh yeah. You know what the big thing was? Was like after it was over, right? Like the game's over, Super Bowl and everything. Mm. Like I would, the thing that I would do was I would just come back to the crib and then it just turns into the routine, the, the daddy duties. Yeah. You know, so then, you know, my daughter would be at the house with me. And, um, uh, oh, I used to brush her hair. No. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I forgot about that, bro. <laughs> yeah, man, but that's what it turns into, you know. It was, uh, bro, listen, you really just made me just think about, like, all the stuff. So there's a positive silver lining in it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, And I think is. what the people don't realize is that as hard as we go, and, and even though that's our, our professional goal of winning the Super Bowl, make it to the playoffs and, and advance, and obviously the, the checks are – you know, decent to keep that money coming in. You you kind of, after a while, normalcy sets back in and you get back to your regular life of being a father, as you said, you know what I'm saying? If you're married, being a husband or whatever it may be. So real life kind of takes hold and you actually have time to be back with your family, which means the most at the end of the day. Yeah. You know what I mean? And in the flip side, <clears throat> i tell you how it was. I think 10 years in the league, didn't, like you said, didn't play all, all 10, but I think I made the, Playoffs, maybe like five, four or five, four to six times, I don't remember. But the weekly routine, the hardest thing is to continue 
to do what's become mundane after 17 weeks of the regular season. Because you know what it is. You, you do a little walkthrough on Monday, maybe do some conditioning. Off Tuesday, get your body right. Wednesday, you do the first install. Thursday, red zone. Friday, short yardage goal line. Saturday, walkthrough. Sunday game. Same thing for 17 weeks. So it becomes a little bit mundane because you kind of predict in these meetings, oh, I know what this is going to be. I know what this is going to be. What, yeah. what variation of the offense or defense do we have? But then that goes on to another three or four weeks in the playoffs, and it's the same thing. The difference is it's fewer and fewer teams. So you're kind of going up that pyramid because everybody's falling off. You're going up that pyramid to see who's the, you know, who's the right. king of the crown, you know, king of the, uh, uh, king of the hill, so to speak. Um, but the, 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 the fun part, is the city becomes electric around you when you're actually winning. You know what I mean? The city really galvanizes so they, behind they you. they treat you good when y'all oh, go after you? Oh, they treat you great, man. They treat you great. Did I'm you talking pay? about free meals. You, you know took advantage I mean? of the free meals. Did I? I know you did. You know, plus size model. Did I? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that Rooney rule. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's been a sensitive topic. It's been like that for years. Um to catch everybody up, what is the Rooney Rule? The Rooney Rule is a National Football League policy that requires league ter- teams to interview ethnic minority candidates for head coaching and senior football operation jobs. Um, basically, you can't say it's affirmative action just because the NFL is a private entity and it's their own house policy. Uh, but it's the closest thing. It's really allowing some of these minorities, coaches out here, to get an opportunity to get an interview so they can show their intellect. Mm. You know, go in there and spit their IP, what I like to call it. And so in order for us to get a chance, meaning black people, have an opportunity to coach or be in those head positions, um, it's very disappointing. Um it's disappointing because, you know, when you look at it, this rule was brought in in 2002. Mm-hmm. And you look at the amount of coaches that are coaching today, if you go back to 2003, it's the same amount of black coaches, minority coaches in this league, which mm-hmm. is three, right? It's three. Um, Flores down in Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony Lynn at the Los Angeles Chargers. Pittsburgh. Yep. And Mike Tomlin. Tomlin. Mm-hmm. When you talk about black coaches, so, um, dang, what is that? <laughs> Three. We got Ron Rivera, too. Mm-hmm. Ron Rivera, yeah. minority. Mm-hmm. So when you look at that, you haven't increased anything. That's over... Oh, that's what, 15 years ago? Yeah. One-eighth, 32 teams, four head coaches, so what? One-eighth of the the coaches in the league uh, are minorities. Over 15 years. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think the rule or, or <clears throat> I think the rule was supposed to be implemented for a positive reason. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, Anybody could say, okay, we, we, yes, we'll, we're, any company could say, yes, we'll interview one minority. Because uh, all it is, you have to interview at least, at least one minority candidate for, for, you know, head coaching or, or upper office position. But at the end of the day, that doesn't mean anything because you can interview them and then you still know who you're going to hire. You know so, what I mean? you know and, what? I want you to go back to that because, you know, a lot of our listeners out here, they, you know, you said they got to interview one. Yeah. One minority, right? Right? Can you kind of paint a picture somewhat of what that kind of so, looks like? From so, a- if you if you're a company and and easy way to break it down, if you go on like any of these hiring platforms like Indeed or you know Job Monster, whatever, yeah. at the end it says it gives you a little disclaimer that says this is a, a equal opportunity company, you know, no race, gender, we won't discriminate, yada yada yada. That's the same thing in, in NFL standards as the Rooney Rule. Right. They're saying yes, we will interview somebody, and doesn't matter your your race, your color, or what have you. But the the that's just an out. That's the fine print saying, I right, if we happen to hire straight white people or white people for these positions, 
It doesn't matter if they're more qualified, if they're have experience, if they have experience or if whatever. It's just it's it's, it's an easy out. Mm-hmm. So I think the Rooney rule was put in place to actually help or I won't even say help, but it was put in place to to give a, a, a positive narrative saying, yes, we as a league will take consideration for minority candidates. But at the end of the day, there's no there's nothing in that rule that says we have to hire. So, yeah, you can you can interview. You can interview out your ass. I don't, what, what does that mean? I know who I'm a hire. I could hey, I could say at Behind a Mask podcast, there's only one rule. There are no rules. But guess what? When we were starting this out, if we got somebody on our team or somebody that we know that's not down with us, that wants to join the podcast, but we know we're doing this ourselves regardless, right. we, could, we could bring them on. Same that's, difference. The, that's the same thing. That's what the Rooney Rule is. They're saying, yeah, we'll, we'll interview you. We'll give you a chance to sit in there, give your take on why you should get this position. But at the end of the day, we don't have to hire you. But And, and I want to play – I'm not going to say play devil's advocate. But the the true response, what I've been hearing, and what I mean is, it really is true, is from this aspect, if you're the person in charge, you can hire whoever you want to, which goes off of the backing of what you just said. And people say, you know, people ask me the question, do you think that's wrong? I was like, like, I, I can't say I think like, this is where I feel that it's wrong. One of my good friends, he told me this all the time. Diversity is a fact. Inclusion is a choice. Mm. And so when I heard that from my friend, Troy Vincent, you know, it puts it all into perspective. And I get it. We all feel comfortable want to hire people that may look like us. We want to hire people that that we know because my friend knows him. But I'm a t- like I that's cool. I feel that we all do that regardless of whatever color, race or whatever you believe in, we all do that. The problem I have is not giving somebody a chance because you don't think they're not worthy mm-hmm. or you feel threatened by what this young man coming into the building or what he can provide from an IP standpoint, or maybe are you afraid of the fact that if I get somebody like that, who will eventually be the face of my franchise, then how does that make me feel? You know, so it's, it's, it's a lot of different moving perspectives on it. I don't like it from that. I, I just, I, I think it's bullshit. You know, you get a lot of coaches out here, um, I know a lot of friends who, I mean, they go to these coaching symposiums. Mm-hmm. They go to the Senior Bowl. They go to the Combine. They put in the work. They put in the work, and they still come up short. And not like they're just existing. These guys are moving up through the ranks, earning team honors. If you really want to know how good a coach is, just ask five players. Yeah. One thing a player ain't gonna lie to you, and if he if, and if he don't want to say something that's gonna come off as conflicting, then he'll just be like, yeah. you know, I just leave it at that. I think it's just a, it's just a proof that that glass ceiling exists even in the NFL, right? Same way in corporate America, you have a glass ceiling, it's but so high, certain people can go, women can go, uh, minorities can go. Clearly, it exists in the NFL. As you said, for head coaching positions, if there were only, what, three or four back then <clears throat> when the rule first came out, and we had the same place now in 2019, you know, some 17 years later, where was the progression? You know what I'm saying? You mean to tell me in 17 years there haven't been enough candidates that came through the ranks that have been coaching for that same amount of time that are worthy of getting uh, at least a head coaching position, a general manager position? I think it's even fewer GMs, uh, black GMs, than it is black head coaches. So if you can't, it starts at the top. So all the owners, with the exception of uh, all the NFL team owners, with the exception of Shah Khan, are white. I mean, that's just a fact, all right? Yeah. So Shah Khan and Jacksonville, all right? So if you have this hierarchy that's at the top, 
and they have we you know we called it the good old boy network if they have the same um relationships with the people that they've come along with the same spheres of influence with the people that are are people in their businesses because everybody's not a football head remember these are 32 billionaires they, they they didn't make their billions Maybe. off of off of football. Means they was doing something. They were else. doing something else. They were business minds. Incredible, great, but they have people literally in their operations that run other businesses for them that may love sports. So they say, hey, if you can keep this business booming for me over here, let's keep this business booming. Mm-hmm. And they literally put those people in place, and it trickles down. So those same people that are the head of operations for Shell Oil or for Bojangles or for, uh, you know, whatever car company. And these are some of the, you know, businesses that these NFL owners have. And they put these people in places for the NFL teams. They're going to bring their SVPs over. They're going to bring, you know, their people over. And that's going to trickle down. And it just is not going to be these minorities. And as fucked up as it is, that's the reality of it. So that Rooney rule, like you said, is bullshit to me. Because it's, there's no there's no growth. There's no... GMs that are still there that can make these decisions say, hey, now I want to hire this head coach. Yeah. They're not there. So what's the change in it? Why are you still out there? And we getting up in arms about it when the question really needs to be, screw the rule. How do we get these minorities in positions of power for real? That's the thing. Not just head coaches, but the GMs. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the head of team operations. Those are the positions that really make the decisions that will trickle down to head coaches where we all see which are the the, the, the click-based, the things that are on the, uh, you know, the sports sports networks and everything. Those are the things that get the fans up and on. So let's really talk about how we get people to the top, and then it will still trickle down. Right on, right on. And I totally agree with you on that. But when you look at what sparked these conversations, you look at some of the coaching hires. Let's start down and and with your former team, the Carolina Panthers. Um, mm-hmm. Matt Rule, right? Mm-hmm. Brought him over from Baylor. Baylor, yep. Um, his background is very legit. He's been through something. I actually like him. I know of him anyway, but I, if I just happen to look at his resume on paper, I would say, you know what? I like this guy. Right. He finds a way to be able to adjust. Um, when you look at uh, Cleveland, they hired the OC from Minnesota, mm. Stefanski, mm. Kevin Stefanski. And so you look at this, and these guys are, they're in their 30s, 38 years old. And uh, Stef- speaking of Stefanski, but when you look at him and you look at the short amount of time how he progressed through the ranks of becoming who he is today. He started, um, he's always been in the Minnesota Vikings. Mm. And his story is actually, is very rare because he grew from every position all the way up. So that shows a lot of respect from a lot of the people who been around him. But um, Minnesota Vikings, he got there in 2006, 2008. He was assistant to the head coach. Assistant quarterback coach in 2009 through 2013. 2014 and 15, he was a tight ends coach. Then he moved to running backs on 2016. Quarterbacks coach again, 2017, 18. Then he was the interim Offensive coordinator 2018, I think they fired their other coordinator and he was elevated from his quarterback position. And now, this year, this past year, he was the offensive coordinator. Hmm. Um, just to put it in a nutshell, the way that he advanced and and um, Kirk Cousins had career highs and everything that he did this year. So I understand the want and the need to feel like you want to have that type of ability on your staff as a Cleveland Brown. I get it. This is where it bothers me, though, because we have it's so many guys, black coaches who are coming up through the ranks. You look at who are coordinators now, Eric B. Enemy, Byron Leftwich, Jim Caldwell, who was down in Miami. I didn't even know he was down in Miami. He was in Miami. 
Now it's talks of him may being the front runner going to Tennessee mm. as the coordinator for next year. Uh, Vikings defensive coordinator, George Edwards, Chris Richard from the Cowboys, uh, Robert Saylor. So when you look at all of these guys, black guys who have spent enormous time in the game, not only as players, but years after the fact. Chris Richard, very good defensive mind. It's crazy to hear he's still out on the street as a position coach slash coordinator for the Cowboys. Well, now he's, we'll just see what, what happens after that. The big one for me is you look at Eric B. Enemy, the huh. running back. He started out, yeah. he was the running back when he was in college, pros and everything, offensive coordinator to the Kansas City Chiefs. Big Red Andy Reid came out on record saying that he doesn't know why he hasn't been hired. He's sharp. He handles everything. He coordinates the offense. Andy Reid just called plays. Yeah. <laughs> Andy Reid shows up and he'll tell you, I played on this team. He yeah. just called the plays. So – when you look at what Eric Bieniemy has done in the time that you know brothers have always been trying to advance, meaning I remember back in the day, and I know you do as well. There were times to where you know black guys were not even allowed to play certain positions. Right. You look at the quarterback, you look at the linebacker position, you look at the safety. The thing that they all had in common was that you had to have a bigger scope view of what was going on from mm-hmm. the entirety entirety versus just a small snippet. Right. So, like, I'm a big fan of the enemy, mm-hmm. and I don't see how, if you even care about football, I don't see how you can't be either. So my point is is this, and, and, and I'm going to just make this point. I'm going to be a little lengthy. But – Eric Bieniemy coordinated the third highest scoring offense, not this year now, in the history of the 100 years. Mm. Been up under Andy Reid, who's put out so many head coaches, like a lot. Um, Ron Rivera is one of them. Now you look at Jim Caldwell. Uh, when it, his time when he was with Detroit Lions, posted three winning seasons, led the Lions to their first 11-win season since 1991 and made the playoffs two times. In his first head coaching job, he took the, he took the coach to the Super Bowl. You know, so, and the fact of him not even – not even being a head coach now, it's, it's just stupid. Put it, look, another, Jim Caldwell lost his job after going nine and seven. Hmm. Went to the playoffs twice. They p- replaced him with Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia just finished his second season. Guess how many games he's won? How many? In two years, nine. So, you know, like, I was always a proponent of not trying to make, like, in my earlier years, I ain't trying to, listen, I want to look at it for face value. I ain't trying to make everything black and white. Mm. But this is where black and white is black and white. Yeah, facts, facts. You know what I'm saying? So, and you look at, you look at these guys who deservingly need to have a shot. But then you look at New York when the Giants, they go hire Joe Judge. The special people were like, "Who?" Yeah. And listen, I ain't even, got even Giants fans were like, "Who?" Yeah, Giants fans will tell you exactly. <laughs> but Joe Judge. But let's look at his resume, though. Joe Judge, New York Giants coach, came from the New England Patriots. Mm. He was the special teams coach there, and he worked with receivers, I think. So. Coaching history, Mississippi State played with them. Um, grad GA graduate assistant, two thousand five, two thousand seven. Birmingham Southern linebackers coach, two thousand eight. Went over to Alabama with Nick Saban. 
He was a special teams assistant. 2012 to 2014, he got a job, the power of the network and what you talked about earlier with the New England Patriots. How did that happen? Well, it's not by accident that Uh um, Belichick and Saban are best friends. So he went to New England, 2012, special teams assistant, 2015 to 18, special teams coordinator. 2019, he was then introduced to not only as a coordinator for the special teams, but he was the wide receivers coach. So New York Giants fans and everybody's listening, that is the head coach for the New York Giants, Joe Judge. No head coaching experience. None. No head coaching experience. No coordinator experience. No coordinator experience. And for so many years, you hear they tell all the guys, the little in-house talk, hey, man, the only way you won't get to the top, you got to get a coordinator job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you just got to – you can't be on the defensive side. You got to be on the offensive side. Oh, now switch back over. Now you got to go to the defensive side. My point is, is this. They have done everything. All the little whispers are like, hey, the the little back end ways, like this for sure get you a job. Mm -hmm. It's been done. I've read off Eric Bieniemy's resume. And they still winning going to the AFC championship game. So I got a problem with that. And I, Mm -hmm. I I just think... Is is it, it bothers me because it's like we good enough to go out here and play, get on this field, jump up and down, but we're not good enough to lead this team huh. from a big picture. Yeah. yeah. And so for me, I look at it like. Yeah, the Rooney Rule is this. No, it ain't. It is not doing what is what we all hope that it would do. Period. It's, it's BS. It's 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 bad. It's horseshit. It is. It is. And and at the end of the day, you you you're we're we're taught or we learn that you're supposed to hire the best qualified person for that position. At least that's what we like to think. But clearly, as you just said, the relationships and as I was saying, the relationships are what matter. So people will say, you know. It ain't what you know, it's who you know. So, you know, what you know will get you in the room. Who you know, no, who you know will get you in the room, what you know will keep you there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So who you know will get you in the room, what you know will keep you there. So obviously, like you're talking about with, with the Giants coach, it's it's through relationships, not not discrediting anything the Patriots have done on special teams. I don't know what they've done. I know their receivers aren't just the greatest this year. So whatever. But – you know who you know. So now the, the Giants fans, they're gonna be straight up though. So they're gonna actually let you know, let let you know if you this biggest media market in the world, you'll find out real quick if this guy is what he's supposed to be. And like I said, I just don't, I don't, I don't believe in the rule. I, I think it's 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 falling on deaf ears, and it just sucks that guys like Eric Bieniemy, guys that have put in the work, as you said gotten those coordinated positions or moving up the ladder is still a glass ceiling even in the NFL. And that's the sad part about it. So the rule, you can throw that out. The conversation needs to shift from that because we all know what it is. You can put the smoke and mirrors up all you want. But now let's move to the flip side of it. How do we change that? And that's the, the question that I don't have the answer to. Yeah, and I'm I'm searching for the answer as well. I do know it's a bunch of quality coaches out there that are black. I'm talking about the black coaches uh, the majority of them came here in Atlanta for the past, for the second year in a row for a summit that they have to be able to share ideas and try to share ways to be able to help each other out uh, because it seems as if nobody is not reaching back, lending a hand, uh-huh. you know, bringing these guys up. But steadily you going out here, you give a guy, you give, hey, he, he earned it, and I'm not mad at him, but Matt Rule, the uh, head coach for now, uh, the – the Panthers. So now you look at what six year, what is it five year, what seven years, sixty million. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So no NFL experience, none. But you let a black coach get in that position. He don't get no seven year, no sixty million. Nah, nah. 
He'll take that that three for thirty. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? So like, they just, you know, it's 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 sad. But we ain't gonna stop though. Nah, we definitely ain't gonna we stop. We still gonna keep beating them drums, baby. Absolutely, keep going. That's how you get behind the mask too, because we actually showing. These are some of the things that you know we think about. It ain't just about the X's and O's. It ain't just about going out there banging heads. When we when we played, we went to have this conversation. This this really wasn't in our thought process when we were playing. Yeah. But as you retire, as you mature, as you as you gain knowledge of how business works, you're no longer in your twenties thinking you know it all. Now you're actually in your thirties or whatever, saying you know what? Nah, I don't I don't have all the answers. I really don't know everything. And then as we as we mature, we like. Damn, this was the lie that we've been told the whole time. You know what I'm saying? So now you have actually have an opportunity to have these conversations and and hopefully get other people to see what you're saying and, and, and realize it from our vantage point of the reality of what really goes on in these locker rooms, in these organizations behind the mask. So. Yeah, I mean, that's, hey, cheers. That's why we're here. Salute. Salute. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Behind the Mask Podcast. Indulge, share, and subscribe to quality content. And we're everywhere. We're on YouTube. Make sure you scroll to the bottom. Click that little bell for notifications. We're on Google Play. We're on Spotify. And we're on Apple Music. Even on social media, we're going to make it easy for you. Follow at the BTM Podcast for your weekly fixings. And remember, there's only one rule. There are no rules. Let's Let's go go behind behind the the mask. mask. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.